Hey guys, this is Anand Shimpy from Anantech.com. We are back for the Anantech podcast. This is episode 26, uh, and I'm joined, as usual, by the ever-intelligent, ever-awesome uh, Brian Klug, our senior smartphone editor. Hey guys, that's a long intro to this, <laughs> this one. Um, so a whole bunch of stuff has happened since... Actually, I mean, not a lot of stuff, but you and I got dragged into a bunch of mess that we're going to talk to uh, you know, a little bit later in the podcast. Uh, but basically, so you, you flew out to New York... Samsung gave you a whole bunch of stuff. They gave you Galaxy Note 3, Galaxy Gear, and a new tablet. And they were like, here you go, take five days and review them all. And, and that's yeah, kind of what you've been doing. three products in uh, under a week there. Yeah. <laughs> I hope um, we don't have to do that anytime <laughs> soon again. I'm, I'm afraid because Surface Pro 2 and Surface 2 are coming. And Oh, that's right. Yeah, I was at the Surface event. Even yeah. I've, I still haven't actually ever played with the original Surface for very long. I mean, like, I guess that's not true. I played with it, but I've never like sat down with it for more than a couple hours. What um, you know, so it's hard to gauge what was different about the Surface too. But I don't know. The one thing but, that stuck for me was the car door thing. You know. <laughs> <laughs> so for those of you who don't know, this was like a big deal um, with Microsoft when, you know, obviously a big part of this whole Surface thing is um, that hinge, right? The integrated hinge that lets the tablet work is, you know, more than just a tablet. Uh, and their whole big thing was, you know, we focused on the quality and the user experience of this hinge. And they always, when they introduced the first service, they said, you know, it should feel like shutting a car door. And I, I guess this was Brian's first experience with having them say that. Yeah. It was kind of weird to me because the, the doors on my truck shudder and like shake in place. <laughs> Because we have bumpy roads here. Actually, it was, there was a report today that we have the fifth worst roads in the nation. Really? Who has? Yeah. Who's one through four? Uh, it was like it was like a bunch of cities in uh, California, like San Diego beat us, <laughs> and San Francisco, and then like right below us was New York, and it's just like these huge urban centers, and then us, which is just strange. <laughs> but my car door shakes, so I was like, "That's a really terrible analogy. Like, please don't use that. Like, they're gonna come off." at any moment <laughs> well so i had the opposite experience right because they were um when they positioned it to me they were like you know this is we wanted the the hinge the open and close of it to feel i want to say someone made the either cadillac or like mercedes comparison and to me i thought that was a bad comparison because i was like those are like really heavy doors and this is like a thin piece of vapor mag yeah and um i mean to their credit like that the hinge doesn't feel like it's going to break Right, like that was my major concern with it, and I don't know what your experience was with Surface Two and Surface Pro Two, but whenever I've used either of the original Surface devices, the hinge felt fine. Like it, well, I, the, it was the not... hinge feels really good. I mean, they added a new position; it seems clicky. I, I wouldn't be worried about it like coming out of place in either of the positions. I was just like, my personal experience with car doors has been terrible. <laughs> you know, when you go to the dealership and you say like the doors are shuttering. And they're like, oh, no, don't worry. Like, that's a normal thing. We can fix it. And then you come back and they're like, it's within spec. That's normal. <laughs> you know? So, like, don't use any... Like, the car, the automobile industry is nothing to be emulated. That's true. You know? Yeah, so no, that, that really was true. just what stuck out at me. I don't know. It's kind of a strange thing to have, like, resonate. <laughs> but what... Um, so, did you get to use the devices, like, on your lap? Did you get to try out the new... No. They didn't no, they didn't have any they had very few, to be honest. There were there were not a lot of uh units you could play with. Interesting. Um and not certainly nothing you could like just grab off of the table and like stick on your lap. But it looked like that works. 
Yeah, because you know? if I go back to my original complaints with Surface, um, needed better, so Surface Pro needed better battery life. It needed Haswell, basically. Um, it needed to be thinner, lighter. It needed a, a multi-position kickstand, right? Because the problem with the kickstand right. is it's great for using on a desk, but when I'm traveling or like I'm in an airplane seat or something, it just puts my neck at a weird angle. Um, so I'm curious how the two-stage kickstand kind of addresses that problem. Yeah, I think it, it does address it, or at least it looked like it. I can't speak to, is it really addressed? But I mean, it looks like they tried to sort of fix it. Yeah, and then they went to like um, just a whole bunch more sensors in the, uh, what's it, the touchpad, the type pad, the type cover. Yeah, that's, I think. Or that's touch cover, touch cover, sorry. I always get those touch all confused. Cover. Um, Not the touch pad. No. Or no. the, I don't know, apparently, yeah, it's every combination of touch and pad and cover <laughs> but so did you get to play with that at all did you let did they let you yeah i played with it briefly i mean it seemed to work well i, I like again my i don't have very many comparisons to the previous gen so i couldn't tell you yeah is this way better but i, I think that they want they want to sort of make it um more agnostic to do more things more than let me make a sentence to do more things than just a qwerty keyboard you yes. know like they were showing off you know you could use this you can imagine you have like a, a different keyboard and then they they can just sense arbitrary points. So that part of it I thought was cool. Yeah. Well, that that's that's um, something Synaptics has always been talking to us about too, right? That like you can, if you go to capacitive, but a capacitive sensors in your keyboard and still even have like switches that physically move or keys that physically move, but they're just capacitively actuated, um, you can start doing a whole bunch of really cool stuff like gestures on your keyboard, um, using just your sheer presence of hands to determine whether or not the display should be on. Um, right. So it's neat. Um, I am kind of disappointed that they didn't go thinner or lighter on the Haswell, on the Pro chassis. Yeah, I don't know. I mean, at, I mean, least, it, at least it has Haswell. Yes. I was no, disappointed that's... it doesn't have the lower um, light camera. The Haswell one, Surface Pro 2, doesn't have the awesome front-facing low-light camera. That's interesting. I, I it's only under- Surface too. I, I know it's one why? of the two that I don't know. I don't. I don't know if there's a good reason why. It's just kind of like a just an omission, I guess. Yeah. So what's interesting to me, chassis wise, is you know they they really could have gone this. You have to look at Surface as kind of like a multi year project, right? Um, so you can go, uh, you go Ivy to Haswell, and you can shrink the chassis. And if you do that, you're just, you're going to end up with like a really compelling form factor. But you either give up performance or you're going to have a, a very like hot, thin chassis. Um, or you don't shrink the chassis and you have great battery life and you just have you know a, a bulky tablet. Um, and then you go to Broadwell, <laughs> and if you wait to shrink the chassis to Broadwell, then you, know, you obviously have a great reason to upgrade again next year. Um, and it just looks like that's their strategy at this point. I, I don't necessarily know if it's the right one. I don't know if it's the wrong one either. But it's, it's just interesting to note how, you know, which trade-offs they decided to choose and when. Yeah, I, I thought what was interesting about the Surface too is that they didn't necessarily fill the entire volume with battery, you know. So they they clearly were optimizing for whatever their target was, and then they don't want it to be super heavy, yeah, necessarily. So I think that they're kind of playing their own balance rather than just absorbing everything. Yes, that you get each generation, or at least that's what stuck out at me looking at the, you know, they had samples of the boards and uh, the modules and the chassis and everything kind of splayed out there which is rare 
you know it's awesome like I'm, yeah. I'm everyone should do that yeah yeah i can't imagine apple ever doing that no that's well i don't know we got a transistor count right and a and a die size last time that was like, weird clearly. though because it was just kind of like on its own and we've never heard that before so it was like okay what's where where's this big number come from i feel like there is um there's likely i mean from my perspective if if i were there and i was leading a chip team and i had just like done this amazing thing i would want to talk about it right and i'm guessing there's a bit of like kind of an internal debate or struggle over well hey we don't normally do this but by the way we built like this awesome cpu core so we should probably talk about some of it um yeah i mean last time they didn't say anything about their custom cpu yeah no i think i think there's there's likely some like internal political battle that we're seeing like the beginnings of of winning um Sure. They're small, but and and they're obviously nowhere near you know Microsoft. No specs definitely don't matter, man. Yeah. <laughs> Apple doesn't care about specs at all. Yeah, there's no there's just the one billion transistor thing. That's a that's yeah, a user you know, just thing. custom, you know, ARM V8, whatever. <laughs> no, doesn't matter. Gimmick. Um, so one thing you know, you mentioned they didn't use the entire volume of of Surface. I remember that was like a big thing for them, where they focused just as much and on weight distribution as they did on weight. Um, and and that could kind of explain why they didn't go and and fill the whole thing with battery. That's what the guy said. Yeah, something along those lines is you know like we wanted it to feel good, not just be like a huge battery. Yeah, which isn't what you normally see. You know, like the battery just kind of fills the volume of whatever's left. You yes. know, or the other way around. But you always want to optimize for just a huge battery. Yeah. So, I well, don't know. I remember um, they were talking about how. The rotational force on your wrist from holding surface, the original surface RT, one-handed, they said uh, because of their weight distribution, uh, you know, it, it it basically put the same amount of stress on your wrist as a like a 1.1, 1.2-ish, or, or some lighter poundage, um, but improperly weight distributed tablet. Yeah. Hmm. I guess the word they're looking there for is torque. Yeah. They're like... <laughs> They were well, like, they were talking the about like the pull something. Of yeah. Oh, okay. <laughs> They're starting to get fancy then, huh? Yeah. Just trying yeah. to confuse everybody in the room. <laughs> so Can you I imagine we... some of these other pubs, like Polar Moment of Inertia. I'd be like, what the heck? <laughs> <laughs> oh man, it was a. Uh, it was. It's uh So how did we get on this? Yeah, yeah we were talking about. I don't know. We were talking about what happened in New York City, I guess, and then yeah, then and, like and day hope... after that was the. The like here's three things. Good luck. You have less than a week. Yeah, and I guess it was technically seven days, but I I did spend like you do lose time to just traveling and all that sort of stuff. Yeah, and you were hoping that they wouldn't we wouldn't have this again where people launch multiple products with only a few days. Yeah, and and I got the watch later. That's that's what it was too. Uh, The watch came later. Let's talk about that. Let's talk about. um, So you got three things. You want to talk about Galaxy Note three first. Yeah, well, why don't we talk about that one last? Because that will segue into the next discussion. Okay, so you want to let's talk. Let's, um, let's talk Note Ten Point. I mean, we're kind of talking about tablets, I guess. Yeah. Longest longest product name ever, Galaxy Note Ten Point One Twenty Fourteen Edition. Although I don't know if that I didn't count the characters, but I think that still loses to Samsung Galaxy S Two Comma Epic Four G Touch, <laughs> which was the canonical name of the Sprint Galaxy S Two. Without okay, a keyboard. So Galaxy S2. Comma. Comma. Epic 4G Touch. Epic 4G and Touch. And technically the word Samsung was in it. 
but I mean, I guess the word Samsung is in Galaxy Note. And the comma um, is a canonical part of the name, too. Yeah, so that is a total of 27 characters excluding spaces. Um, what about... 34... Uh, so what's the other one? Yeah, um, 24, you said? Uh, it's 27 with no spaces. Wow. I mean, um, that's so getting up there. And, okay, is is our parentheses part of the 2014 yes. edition? Yeah, yeah, yeah. There's definitely Ooh. parents. Does it win? It, it wins. It's wow. 30, 34 characters without spaces. Wow. <laughs> I couldn't, you know, when they said that, that that's a long name and, they, you know, they kind of laugh at their own names a little bit, which is, I guess, you know, there, there needs to be humor involved. But uh, I couldn't see it losing in my mind, my mind's eye to, uh, you know, epic 4G touch. Yeah, because a lot of the name is taken up in like numbers and, you know, addition. Yeah. Well, the two in the old days was like Roman numerals, like two eyes. You notice this time, starting with Galaxy S4, they moved to just numbers. Oh, so I, I counted it as a number, not a normal Roman numeral. So that would put it at 28 characters then. Yeah, so pretty close. Yeah. Because, um, you know, like so Galaxy you... S3 was III. Yes. Gal- now, now it's Galaxy Note 3, just the numeral, not III. Yeah. What do you so, um, what do you think of the tablet? Uh, you know, I'm not, I'm not much. I, I seem to preface everything I say about the tablet with I'm not much of a tablet user. Yeah, but, but I liked your your take on this, where you were like, actually, I was a tablet user, but a very different type of tablet. Yeah, you know, I used uh, I used the previous gen of tablet, you know, before this, you know, before the iPad, I guess, kind of redefined what a tablet was for like five years, you know, yeah. and. Uh, I guess to me that that's still kind of what a tablet is. So I, I at least like that the 10.1 2014 edition is sort of that, you know, it has a stylus. And I know that, you know, Jobs famously said, if you see a, you know, a tablet, they're doing it wrong or they failed. I mean, if you see a stylus with a, ta- uh, if you see a tablet with a stylus, they're doing it wrong or they failed. Yeah. But, uh, I, you know, I fundamentally believe that for taking notes and a lot of productivity, you just need, uh, you know, you you do need a, a writing implement. Like the last how many years? Like thousands of years, humans have written things with like you know a scroll or a quill and you know a stick or something. You know, like a piece of carbon. So <laughs> it's not going away very soon. So, anyways, I respect that. At least we have that. You know, Samsung is trying to keep the tablet with a stylus alive. And for me, the fidelity of the iPad was never really high enough to take notes on. Like my use case was writing equations as fast as I possibly could from the board and then looking at them later. And, you know, I tried this with an iPad, but really just like the screen resolution and I guess the sensor resolution wasn't there with these like, you know, kind of fake styluses, Yeah. you know. But, but anyways, you, you, is that still um, so the issue that I had, I, I reviewed the, the Galaxy Note 8 and sure. I came to to like the fact that, hey, the stylus can actually be useful, like if you just need to jot down a note somewhere. But I felt like there was still too much, I don't know what the right word here is, input lag, right? To, to actually make still, it. Yeah, there's still input lag. It's and not, I feel like it's that's not huge, though. Interesting. It's difficult to quantify. You know, you see people trying to quantify input lag. Obviously, you see how Intel's trying to quantify it, and they need a red camera and like 200, 240 FPS video, and like a robot arm, and a box, <laughs> and like an OS that they can sort of like do mocap on, 
and yada 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 just to like get some number out at the end of the day uh so that's a little bit outside of what what i can do easily yeah you know although we could you can point a high-speed camera at it you know those are pretty cheap now 120 fps and get close um so you could wave your hands and say nyquist and that we're we're okay sampling a 60 frames per second screen you know there's still lag it's just like the lag that i used to see on you know like taking notes in one note and these other tablets was pretty much the same oh interesting. so uh you get used to it after a while i think it's sort of a perception thing it's a an adaptation interval i you know I, I don't think it's the best thing in the world but i can tolerate it the bigger thing for me is that honestly the tablet still has some really like laggy and choppy parts even though it's 5420 you know yeah, so that was gonna that's what i was gonna ask you I, I saw a lot of people comment on that um what what um what is laggy and choppy it's difficult it's always difficult to like point out the places that they are that there is chop but i mean you know and, and like with galaxy s4 i kind of spent a lot of time trying to think about where the places were that the u the, you know the ui felt laggy to me you know like yeah. they were on and it's sort of the same thing here there there's a combination of unnecessary frames and motion tweens and also this time around there's some dropped frames like on the lock screen for example they have like this radial blur that they draw when you do the slide to unlock yeah. it sort of traces the path of your finger and that for me definitely drops frames and it just kind of like erodes the you know the confidence that you have that this is a very fast platform hmm. you know so i think i think when we're trying to codify system performance there's like a lot of different things at play here obviously you know fluidity uh jank like dropped frames, you know, latency and the touch sense where, you know, like my finger is out, you know, is far beyond what the interaction is. Uh, there's like a, you know, a couple different axes of the same problem. But in the case of the Note 10.1 2014 edition, I think it's, it's like, it's the same sort of touch whiz problems that I've always seen uh, just with UI. And then also like a couple drop frames here and there. And I know that okay. doesn't really satisfy, you know, our bar for like, here's the exact issue, here's the exact thing, but that's what I would say it is. And it isn't every time. And I feel like there must be an additional overlay penalty that they take with that, you know, air command interface that you pull out the thing and, you know, like that little ring switcher UI comes up. Yeah. Uh, and I, there must be an additional over, overhead that comes into play too with the, you know, like multiple window stuff that they have going on. So... It's difficult to really nail all of it down and obviously in the tests it's pretty smooth you know it performs very well in synthetics uh but again you know it's like kind of they're pushing they're pushing things very far to enable these extra features and that's where it starts to feel like it slows down yeah you know and plus it's still a cluster switcher <laughs> yeah which we I, you know we talked about but uh <laughs> i mean it's it's the interesting thing I'm going to me, turn it on and see again because like I'm trying to think about what for me really sticks out as and you saw I, I saw that too other people identified it so I'm glad it's not just me yeah but uh those were the things and then the only other thing for me is that even though they added this like uh they added like a texture to the side so that it doesn't really slip out of your hands like the note three has this as well it's got like kind of a I don't want to say ribbed, but like a textured thing around, you know, like the Chrome edge has like a rib to it now yeah. so that it's a little bit grippier. And that, that was my only complaint with really a note three is that it, 
the sides were a bit thick and then the way it was curved it was a little bit slippery and the note 3 is in every way better in the like feels department but the the tablet still is a little bit like um likely to slip out of your hand for me hmm. like it slides around you know in the like the fatty part of your palm is kind of where the corner sits yeah and that's where it it kind of like slides interesting you know so like i the, turned it on i think i think the home the ring switcher thing on the home screen still kind of drops frames um you know if you pull the pen out i think it's pretty it's pretty smooth but just launching like immediately into a, an action memo you feel like a little bit of stutter it's difficult to tell and it's intermittent hmm and then obviously the thing that you were talking about with the the writing you know exceeding your you know when you're writing there is some input lag but that's yeah. always been the case and like i'm so used to it i just don't see it anymore if well, that so makes that's... any sense no, no it, it does and and that's actually a perspective that i don't have right um i'm curious did you i would say uh, it is a little bit better on here though really yeah. so so that's a that's a very interesting point right if you basically what you're saying is if you're used to the old windows tablet pcs and you could write on them then you can write on a galaxy note like a modern galaxy note and have at least the same experience in terms of input lag i would say so yeah so and did I, they... I think the now that I'm, you know, I'm playing with them again as we speak, the 2014 edition feels less laggy than the Note 3 when, in terms of writing latency, you know, using inking, I guess. Interesting. what it used to be called. In inking. Um, yeah, and so like Windows 7 they... tablet or whatever that was. You yeah. remember that? Windows XP, like tablet edition. Tablet PC edition. Yeah, I ran I that. that. Yep. Um, I had like seven you... hours of battery life back then, too. That's really good. Most of the first ones we tested were like two and a half hours. I had I the Samsung Q1 Ultra V. Do you remember that thing? It had like oh. a, it was like a it was a UMPC. It had the oh, split wow. keyboards on the side. Yeah, you know? I remember that. Yeah, that one was on an active digitizer, but I had that with like the extended battery. Easily could get seven hours, like full day writing all the time during class. And then I switched to Latitude XT. Which was a little bit of a nightmare at times, like <laughs> the Entrig digitizer I didn't like as much, but uh, I had the battery slate, you know, like they had this huge battery thing and that, that could last like all day Yeah, if you pushed it. Did they let you write on Surface Pro 2? No, no, I didn't write on it. Man, so, so that's what I'm actually really curious about because from what I remember um, from writing on Surface Pro, I felt that it was appreciably less laggy than on any of the Galaxy Notes interesting well yeah, i mean so i guess that would make sense they probably so have better like, drivers yeah i'm I'm actually i i'm really really curious to see what your writing experience is like on a surface pro um okay so I, that's you know what's weird about the surface thing is that i the, there were like not very many you could just walk up to and use yeah i get the feeling that a lot of the folks i mean a lot of the platforms this year, kind of new platforms that had a, like a lot of changes internally, we look at Haswell Ultrabooks, we look at iPhone 5S, we look at Surface, have all come to market in just very limited quantities. Um, yeah. I, I think, I don't know if it's Although that. the 5S, there's still like a, a ton of. Yeah. You know, it was like in the millions. That's true. That's true. Um, but still less than what they would have normally had, right? Sure. Um, I, I just wonder, and maybe Apple's the exception, right? I, I just wonder if, if maybe we're, um, I, I guess for Surface, 
you know, you're kind of bound by Intel's schedule. And, and Haswell was a slow ramp, regardless of how you look at it. Yeah, there just weren't very many to, like, play with. Yeah. yeah. Although, and ironically enough, I saw a dude installing 3D Mark on just, like, <laughs> the one demo unit that you could use, you know? <laughs> oh, man. He had, like, his whole, like, key fob plugged into it. <laughs> you know, like, uh, like keychain USBs thing? Yeah. Like, just don't mind me. <laughs> I'm just I'm running 3D Mark on this. Well, which is hilarious because like that's a the 3D Mark performance is a known quantity, right? It's that's just a what I was saying. Yeah, I was like, should I be doing this? But like, no. I mean, you've you know Haswell is fairly well understood. I, I don't yes. think there's going to be any like surprise here. And and yeah. same with Tegra Four. Yep. No, that's exactly you know? true. Although it seemed like all of them were Surface Pros and not Surface um, Surface Twos. Yeah. You know. Actually, one of the Surface 2s they, like, took away. I remember at one point they were like, it's not ready. Like, nobody should be touching it. <laughs> um, so on on the Galaxy Note billion year edition, whatever, um, the display came away pretty decent, right? Like you, Yeah, you, and it's RGBW. Accurate. I feel like all of this got lost in the other stuff, you know? Yeah, which we'll get to in a second. It's so, you know, like, I don't even think some people have noticed that it's RGBW, even though it's just like we called that out in there. Yeah. Which is surprising to see RGBW again, because the last time, last time that I saw RGBW was like, God, that was like Droid X2 or something. Or... Yeah, it was It was a long time ago. <laughs> I have so to RGBW, Google. Yeah. The, 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 the principle there is what you have... You know, red, green, and blue subpixels, but then you also have a non-color filtered, like white subpixel, and you yep. just use that to basically efficiently drive brightness for white. Well, they separated luminance and chrominance. I mean, what yeah. better? And it was the Droid X2. Wow. And uh, so that was a Samsung display, I'm pretty sure. So obviously they've kept this around. Yeah. I don't. I don't know. Have any of the other Samsung tablets shipped with RGBW? Like, I was surprised by this. Um, no, I don't think so. Not the not the Note 8. Um, I didn't put the Galaxy Tab 3 under the microscope. Because I could see this. Like, when I saw this, I was kind of surprised because, you know, like, green, the solid green sub, um, and solid green, you know, like, when you're looking at UI elements that are just solid green, I can see the subpixels. Really? But that's because the, you know, like, human eye response is, is very good in the green, uh, like, if you look at the curve, it's just huge compared to the other two. Like you're effectively blind in blue and red, <laughs> but in green, you're you can see everything. And so, like the battery indicator is kind of what always sticks out in my mind. And funnily enough, the Droid X2 did this too. But you can totally see that there's not like space fill in between. Yeah, and that's where I could see on here. And when I looked at the tablet, I was like, that's kind of weird. This is supposed to be a super high high dpi you know 2560 by 1600 tablet yeah i shouldn't be able to see anything and that's when i got curious and then measured it and sure enough rgbw but yeah the idea is that you know you don't lose a lot of your light throughput to these filters just to like display things that are white you can um get a lot more luminance out and uh do them this way but again it's sort of a it's a two sub pixel per pixel arrangement as well um uh, which is kind of different so but anyways yeah it's kind of the weird little extra surprise bit of this tablet yeah that i you wasn't even expecting. call it a an optimization for displaying white oh yeah definitely i mean <laughs> the uh the brightness 
definitely, you know, definitely goes up in theory. Like the Droid X2, I believe, was close to like 700 nits. Oh wow! Yeah, just because you're not incurring any filter losses, you know, if you're doing, and you're getting those other two, you know, other three colors. Like yeah. everything is lit up when you're displaying a white. So I mean, that's pretty sweet, I guess. Um, in- not so good if you love uh, not seeing pixels. <laughs> so. Color accuracy, though, you thought was really good on the on the panel. Yeah, from what I recall, it was pretty good. They did a pretty good job. It was it seemed very controlled. Yeah. Um, from what I remember, yeah. Um, I feel like Samsung stepped up its display um, emphasis this time. You know. Yeah. I don't. For some reason, the Note Three did very well this time around in the movie mode, and you know, I put the. Uh, I put the tablet also in movie mode, and we've we've been over this. I don't think we need to go over this again, but the MDNI E settings that are available that you know people thought was new but aren't new, and that whole thing. And if you put it in movie mode, it's very very close to sRGB. So I put it in movie mode. I actually wonder what percentage of people that purport to care about display quality actually run their stuff in movie mode. Like, I would love to know, especially some (laughs) of the very vocal people who, like, reach out to me all the time about, like, very small little things. Are you running it in movie mode? Like, because if you're not, then it's all just a moot point. Yeah. But if you put it in movie mode, it's actually not bad. And uh, I I believe, where is it? I'm looking at the graphs right now again. I believe the GMB Delta E was pretty low, like four. So better than iPad mini. Um Still not as good as the next, the new Nexus Seven or iPad Four, but yeah, uh, but it got close. Like it, it was, it was. Yeah, not it's a clearly bad... not like they didn't. They spent no effort on it. Yeah, um, I guess that was a double negative. It's, it isn't like they didn't do anything or didn't improve. Yes. No, so. I was, I was pleasantly surprised with most of the numbers. Um, battery life looked really good on video playback kind of not that great i mean it was okay for for you know the more cpu bound stuff um yeah which which was a little bit surprising to me i expected it to be a little bit better since on that that should just be a7s although i don't know if her workload is is um big enough to it's gonna make it chatter back and forth i've never really yeah so i remember looking at this yeah i looked at this on the exynos 5410 on the galaxy s4 international and um, was it chattery? At the, yeah, at the beginning of workloads, it would it would fire up A15s and then switch over to A7s. Oh man, yeah. Well, yeah. they're definitely going to lose a lot there because apparently, again, CCI 400 isn't being used, even though it's fixed this time. Well, because I don't, I don't actually know what they would do, right? Because they have a cache imbalance too. Sure. Right, because like you, you're yeah. A15 well, you can't cluster. fit it all back in. Exactly. So I, I don't know if they have a way or if they have like a, an approach where they're like, Hey, this is the most important stuff that's in our two meg L2 that we're going to fit in the 512 K L2 for the a sevens. And it, it sounds like that's just a lot of complexity and, and they would just flush to memory and, and the other core or the other cluster would, would pull in from memory. Yeah. I, uh, I don't know. I don't know the intricacies. I've always assumed that they, they do have some sort of mechanism to, well, obviously they flush back out to DRAM. But then when they, what they would pull back is, like you said, what was most important. I'm doing air quotes because I don't know what that means. Yeah, I mean, ideally, all of this would, you would just have one large shared cache. And, you know, they just, all cores are, are coherent with that within that one large cache. Right. 
Um, but that's that's not what's happening here. Um, so that's kind of disappointing. And then the other big disappointing thing was hey, this thing is expensive, right? It's five hundred and fifty dollars. Yeah, that's the thing. I, I think the ten point one inch tablet market is uh, there is none except for the iPad. <laughs> you know, I think seven inches is the right size. If I were to use one of these tablets, and I try to, seven inches is the right size, not ten inches. What would you say, seven versus eight, or, or um... oh, seven or eight? Yeah, same okay. class. Yeah. Okay. Around there. Yeah. I mean, the iPad Mini is effectively like an eight-inch tablet, isn't it? Correct. Yeah. So uh, that form factor versus the ten, I think that's that's the only like fundamental thing that Jobs got wrong was the decision to go with and make ten inches and ten point one sort of like the initial size. Yeah. And I don't know why that is, but it, it just seems to be the case. And I, But my, I guess my theory is that anywhere I can smuggle a 10.1-inch tablet, I can smuggle a notebook. Yeah. So why wouldn't I ever bring the notebook? You know? Unless, yeah. unless you're the kind of person that doesn't have a notebook and you only have a tablet or you're only going to buy one or the other, yes. then you can make that call. But if I have both, why would I ever not bring my notebook? Yeah, that's true. And we see a lot of people like proposing different answers to this, right? So like the Samsung answer is, well, you bring a 10-inch tablet and we give you a pen and we give you multitasking and all this stuff. And then the Microsoft And you bring a Note is, 3. Yeah. <laughs> and the Microsoft answer is, you know, we give you a cover that has a keyboard in it and like we'll give you a tiny mouse or something. And the um, Windows Phone. Yeah, and, and Windows Phone. <laughs> um, yeah, so the pricing is the only thing that, that kind and of... I like the Asus there. answer. Yeah, the students' answer is we just give you an awesome two-in-one, and it's going to yeah. be dirt cheap. Yeah, like and it's, it's built out of metal. Yeah. <laughs> um, so the thing about pricing is, and I had the same struggle with Galaxy Note 8 in that, you know, Galaxy Note 8 was 400 bucks. Um, I feel and, like they're you know, living in the previous year's market or like two years ago when this was okay. Even yeah, though it I wasn't also, okay, like it probably didn't sell then, it just still won't sell. Yeah, I also feel like they have their own audience now, right? That that you know, folks that are going to show up and just buy Samsung, and I feel like for tablets, I feel like for phones, yes. For tablets, I don't, I don't feel that as much. Maybe they're just trying to convert them. I mean, my conclusion on the Note Eight was, you know, it's a premium for the pen. If you can use the pen, yeah, but otherwise, um, you know, they're cheaper options. And and it was pretty much the same deal with the ten point one twenty fourteen edition. Sure. Yeah, uh, I think that's the case. I don't know like, how I feel about it. The the only I mean the other thing is if you look at what else will come with an active digitizer, um, you know you can you can talk about Surface Pro two, but now you're talking about a nine hundred dollar device, right? Right. So I, I can see where they're arguing that hey we have more functionality, but I, I think it just carves you this little like niche and and you have to play there. Well, and they're they're obviously playing there. I mean they're very uh, they're emphasizing the tablet. I mean the pen features of the tablet, yes, aggressively, which they should. So you know, yeah, it's um, the right way so to go. Then you got you got the watch. You got Galaxy Gear. Yeah, I have Galaxy Gear. Actually, I got two of them somehow. I'm not sure how. I didn't. I don't think uh, I deserved special treatment or anything. I just somehow <laughs> two of them came because I have a brown one and like orange. Yeah, and. Actually, and so if you get the Note Three, you can. Do you want one? I'll, you know, like you can have one. I don't. I'll I don't, ship one over to you. I stopped wearing a watch like a bunch of years ago, and I, I don't really want. This isn't just a watch, man. <laughs> I, don't, I don't like. That's just a little too much additional. This is not just a watch. Me. This is Android on your wrist. 
It literally is. You you so you you did the most amazing thing in the world. You you installed it. So you found that it's Android 4.2.2, right? Immediately, yeah. It just like started. Well, you know, first thing I did was like set it up and then tick the debug box, you know, and then just see what I could do over it. Yeah. And it literally is just Android debugging, you know, and it turns on the, un, you know, unknown installation sources. Yes. And you can just like ADB push over whatever you want to install. And, and uh, so naturally, the first thing that we pushed was CPUZ. And then, like the second thing was GL benchmark. Yep. <laughs> and so you even and I guess Andy bench. Yeah, which are Andy still bench. on my watch, by the way. That, that, I mean, that's they should be on your watch. Right? I need like, them at all yeah. times. Oh, and CPU spy, you know, so you can see what and the screen on toggler, so I could run the battery life test. Yeah, that's true. Uh, that's okay. I was wondering how you did that. That makes sense. Yeah, I just pushed it over. I was like, heck yes, this is just straight up Android. You know what? I would have run the web browser thing too, just for hilarity. But there's no there's no internet on here. Like there's no way to make a tunnel. Oh um, yeah. Or I could have wasted a lot of time making my own socket and like doing that. But uh, I you know obviously within the three days there there wasn't a whole lot to do. <laughs> so. Uh, but anyways, yeah, I feel like you were gonna say something. It's pretty cool to be able to run these things on a watch, but at the same time, it's a little ridiculous. Yeah, I mean, here's the thing, right? You so you you confirmed what um, Samsung Semi tweeted, right? Which was that this was a full blown Exynos 4212, but with only <laughs> single core enabled, which is kind of ridiculous. Like you got, I mean, we're talking <laughs> iPhone 4 class. Silicon. No, this is like iPhone 4s class. Well, oh, 4S you mean was but after the though, disabled? Right? Yeah, yeah. So after, you know, yeah, this is like an iPhone. Yeah, iPhone 4. <laughs> But like on your wrist and with a one watt hour battery or 1.2 watt yeah. hours. Oh, well, and um, I have Mali 400 MP4. Don't forget. Yeah, I, I'm curious to see like what they've disabled on the GPU side. Um, I'm not sure. You know, I mean, I feel like that's clocked down considerably because it only got like one frame per second <laughs> in uh, in both GL benchmark tests, or wasn't it? It got like 1.7 on one and like three on another. Yeah, it, it did reasonably well. I thought like it got because I've definitely run T Rex on devices at much higher resolutions and got you know maybe four or five frames per second. So, um, you know, yeah, I, I'll I'll give them this. It's very well constructed as far as the smartwatch goes. Yes, I, I would say that Pebble. You know, so I I don't know where to start with the whole watch thing. The like I'm an avid watch wearer. I guess maybe not as much as some of the other peers in this business. <laughs> but uh like I, I wear a watch and um so I, I disagree with the assertion that some people have made that like twenty somethings don't wear watch watches. Because yeah. my friends they have like it's kind of a thing, you know. Like oh, there's one kid that has like a Movado, another one has like a couple nice like tags or whatever. Yeah. So it's not like, you know, nobody cares about watches in this generation, which I just believe is hilarious like um I don't know what the right word is, just like generational casting or something. <laughs> but uh, anyways, so I wear watches and then I, you know, I got Pebble and I didn't really review it because like they kept changing fun functionality in like a fundamental way. And when I got, when I, so apparently I must have pre-ordered Pebble like first couple hundred, you know, I forgot about this entirely. Like I did the pre-order thing. I did the Kickstarter. Then I forgot about it. And then I started kind of like, not dissing on pebble but like i was not as sold on pebble anymore yeah after a while i was like they're never gonna make it you know whatever it's gonna be really basic and then pebble shows up one day and i was like wow did this thing start shipping and it wasn't like a review unit i've never talked to their 
their PR, never talked to like their media relations, you know, anything. Okay. Just showed up. And I was like, wow, I guess I paid for this. And I looked and yeah, sure enough, I had paid for it. And it was like a really low order number. So anyways, I'd worn Pebble since day one and I never really stopped. Like I was always using it, you know, so I feel like I've kind of seen that run through its arc. There are a couple other players in the smartwatch business. There's the Meta Watch. Um, there's that other one, that Martian one. One of our commenters had like the best comment ever with every smartwatch. And I feel like he's the one that's really probably better suited to like speak to this. Yeah. Just because he seems to have all the smartwatches. But anyways, I feel like from a watch perspective, they nailed, you know, like the watch part of this. Maybe not nailed, but got more of it right than anybody else. Like it has a clasp. The band doesn't feel like total unmitigated, you know, junk like the <laughs> Pebble does. And uh, even though the Pebble one is replaceable, which I don't believe is a, you know, like an excuse to just ship something that's horrible. Uh, but they got a lot of stuff right. Like the front feels great. You know, they have metal. Um, you know, the display is really bright and nice. I like that. What it's lacking that I forgot to write about is it doesn't have auto white, you know, auto uh, brightness. So you kind of have to like manually toggle like outdoors mode when you're in outdoors. And, you know, but it, it goes bright enough. The thing is that it's obvious to me that they've kind of just like shoehorned Android into somewhere it shouldn't go. And, you know, like it sort of works as a watch. And it only works with the Note 3. And those are the issues for me. And the, the $300 thing is just. You can't do that. Like, I believe it's $300, isn't it? Yeah. And then the also the battery life on it. And also, the you know, battery life is kind of all over the place. Like, the one day that I kind of used it nonstop, I got barely through the day. Days like today, I've been wearing it all day, and somehow I'm still at, like, 90. So oh, I don't I don't really know why it's so variable or what's going on or, you know, like, that one day I made a couple phone calls from it. You know, I was taking pictures. Today I just took pictures, whatever. Um, it's it's kind of all over the place, and I feel like that's the thing. If it's a watch, you have to be able to rely on it to make it some amount of time. And the thing that really fails at is obviously telling time, because the watch face isn't always on. You know, like yes. it's off until you do this gesture, and the gesture doesn't always work. And I like the pebble gesture, which is like you just rotate your wrist. You know, like you just do a like, you know, like a twist of your wrist, and boom the backlight always comes on so like and i find when i you know when i switch back to wearing my normal you know like not a smart watch watch and i was doing the twist gesture every time i wanted to look at it and it wasn't like <laughs> lit up so like that's a gesture that seems to work i don't know why samsung couldn't do that instead of this like you know it's sort of an uh you know a quarter rotate up from like you know arm out position to like facing up at your face position and that toggles, you know, like the watch face. So, I don't know. I have a lot of thoughts about the watch. It's it's there, but it's not there yet. I think it's kind of a novelty. I wish the watch faces were cooler. Yeah. The the whole UI is kind of bland. It's like just white and black. You know, like like at least for being for being super AMOLED, they could have done something else. Whereas yeah, and the, even for being like infinitely programmable, right? Like yeah. that's the and the pebble the pebble watch is like you know, binary display, but the watch faces look prettier. So I, I just don't understand. Yeah. To me, this, this feels a lot like kind of the earliest, you know, we're talking about the earliest tablet designs, you know, they're effectively just normal PCs running normal PC OSs, you know, just kind of shoehorned into a tablet. And, and I feel like that's what this is. This is uh smartphone, everything 
put in a funnier shaped box. And that's not, that's not how you get into a new market, right? You need, you need purpose designed everything, um, more or less. Right. And right. That, that's where I feel like we are at with, with at least, you know, if we're going to put a lot of compute in a watch, I, I feel like that's what needs to happen. I mean, it is, it is cool to have full blown Android on your wrist to have, you know, an 800 megahertz Cortex A9 on your wrist. Um, but th- that's not what you, that, that's not enough that's to get not, a mass yeah, market not, Yeah, exactly. That's, I mean, maybe that'll sell some of our listeners. I know it sells me a little bit just because it's cool. Yeah. But uh, it's not a prospect that you can just go out and, like, advertise, you know? Yeah. <laughs> I don't um, know. I, I, I've been wearing the watch nonstop, though. I feel like they nailed just the way that it feels. Like, the clasp is nice. The band is nice. It doesn't feel very heavy. Like, it's not actually that thick. And you can call from it, and it has a camera that takes surprisingly good pictures, although that's just waiting to be abused. You know, like, <laughs> my friend was like, there's no blinking red light for recording. I was like, wow, I hadn't even thought of that, you know? Yeah. Like, they have the speaker at the bottom. You can't turn off the shutter sound or the video capture sound, but you, mm-hmm. it's very easy to just put your finger over it and, you know, take pictures without anybody knowing. So, you know... I was I was having some fun just like sneaking spy shots, you know, like in various <laughs> places. But uh, you know, I guess it's an emergent new technology or whatever. And the call part of it is kind of cool, but I don't know that there's really anything here that is like killer yet that I can't yeah. live without. Especially no, because it only that. works with the Note Three, and especially because like the notifications it can deliver are a bit limited. Although you can reply to texts, which is cool. So. I don't know when the the like the the screws aren't all turned to the same position, you know? That just bothers <laughs> me. You know? It's just like what? I don't know. <laughs> so, okay, all right. So that's that's Galaxy Gear. Um yeah. Then the big story is Galaxy Note 3. And you found a whole bunch of cool So you like Galaxy Note 3. It sounded like you were very yeah, positive on this. Yeah. I want to use Galaxy Note 3. Um well you can't because it's T-Mobile, right? Yeah, I mean, I use it as much as I could, but uh yeah. I I want to legitimately use it this time a lot. So uh, we talked about its display. You like that? Um, it's Snapdragon eight hundred, which we've talked about before, which is amazingly good on in terms of battery life. Um, yeah, very good. It didn't you know? I mean, well, there's new process, so you know that's. I feel like we're just gated by process right now. Yes. So and, I mean, which says a lot for what's going to happen as. You know, apparently 20 is going to be really difficult to get to, and then get to FinFET after that is, is not going to be easy. So uh, it's going to be a fun, like, next 12 to 24 months here. Um, <clears throat> so it's got Snapdragon 800. It's got 802.11ac, although you had some problems with 802.11ac uh, on yours. It has a new Bluetooth. It has a new um, Broadcom, Bluetooth, Wi-Fi, FM combo, that uh, the 4339, which includes the PAs and the LNAs for transmit and receive, respectively inside of a, a smaller package okay and um i don't know if that's the reason or just some other thing was up or you know like something weird was going on but uh, i couldn't hit throughput that was nearly as high as i could before which mm. was still just really high like 135 megabits but uh not quite as high but anyways there's a new combo in there i mean i guess the iphone doesn't have ac so we, <laughs> we have to be glad that we have ac still in other places yes that's but true. uh and then it also has USB three, yeah, which, which um, a bunch of people were complaining about because apparently they've never seen the USB three micro B connector ever, <laughs> even though it's been out for like two years. Yes, 
you know? Oh, and by the way, the cable is like thicker, you know, because there's more wires in it. The cable that they shipped is like, you know, it's it's a beefier cable. So I guess yeah. maybe that's a downside, but the rest of it is that you don't need to like, you know, you don't need to always use the USB 3.0 connector. You can use the 2.0 connector, which is on the side. Like that's yeah. why it's so weird looking. Which I actually, I admittedly, and I'm ashamed to admit this, I didn't even realize that, right? Because like all of the USB 3.0 devices I've had have just been hard drives. And I never thought to plug in like a micro USB 2.0 connector in there or cable in there. And you can, and it totally works fine. Yeah, absolutely. You just get 2.0 rates. Yeah. And um, uh, so that's there. Uh, you know, and then my suspicion was that USB 3.0 was broken for a while, but apparently it only just works under Windows. Yes. You know, so I updated that, uh, and it wasn't quite clear whether this was, like, disabled on, on, on the T-Mobile one since it says it can interfere with calls and data, uh, which is a little weird. I'm not sure how that would happen, but um, huh. that's a disclaimer. Like, I mean, it, it is obviously, like, really, really fast signaling compared to USB 2. Yeah. I don't know if that's – I don't. I would love to see how that happens or, like, what, <laughs> what that looks like. But uh, so anyways, that's there. I don't know why the Mac version doesn't get it. Maybe the the Android file transfer tool hasn't been updated for USB 3.0 yet. I'm not sure That's what why. I would think. Um, and then it also had, this is the first platform that you've tested, you know, outside of like a reference platform or like, you know, a, a demo at a trade show with envelope tracking. Yeah, which is very cool. So essentially, the I mean, they say they have like 20% power savings improvements and then 30% less heat dissipation. And I, I would believe all those claims because really the power amplifiers just waste a lot of power, uh, at least in LTE, because you have this high peak to average power ratio, so you need to always drive it you know, at one place with a certain voltage rather than sort of following you know, the amplitude of this curve, which is what envelope tracking does. And uh, the Note 3 is the first to have the, one of those components from the Qualcomm RF360 portfolio, and it's a QFE 1100-1100, which is a, you know, their envelope tracking solution. And uh, basically all that that is is a power supply that talks to the baseband, and then they, they can modify, you know, while you're transmitting the amount of uh, bias that's being put across the uh, power amplifier and sort of keep it always in this part of the curve, um, that it's driven optimally at like the highest PAE power added efficiency part of the curve. And that's a big thing because, you know, unless you're at hundred percent power, a lot of the times the power added efficiency isn't nearly as high as it could be. So essentially this is like a way to drive, you know, that peak to other places and, and keep it, you know, always in the most efficient part of its, its operational envelope. And so the, in, in something that doesn't have envelope tracking, you're basically always driving voltage in accordance to what you need for peak LTE power. Am yeah, that's one that? way of saying it. Yeah, yeah. Okay. Although they, have, then, they, you know, they have like average power tracking. I think that's been done for a while. Okay. And, so uh, then that'll look like, like a look couple at, states. Yeah. Okay, I gotcha. But whereas envelope tracking is kind of a more dynamic voltage toggling, basically. Very granular. On, yeah. Okay. The idea is to completely follow the the envelope of this this transmit waveform, okay. as opposed to you know, kind of always meeting the maximum, which, you know, in LTE is very spiky because this this peaked uh, this very high peak to average power ratio, versus other technologies that came before it, um, which still had you know peak peak to 
they still had this problem, but it wasn't nearly as big. You know, like the ratio yeah. wasn't as big. So, anyways, that's a big gain, and you know, that both translates to less heat and then also less power just wasted. Yeah, and that's something that users can expect to kind of see in just dynamic usage of the device, right? If you're going around and you're you're you know in changing signaling conditions. Um, yeah, and you know what I liked, and I didn't. I actually saw this immediately in uh, service menu. You know, star pound zero zero one one pound, which uh, is great on Samsung phones, and it's kind of like my reason for liking them. Uh, inside there, they have like the PA state, and you can see it change between average, you know, average tracking, average power tracking, and then envelope tracking. Um, and I saw those acronyms at the bottom, and I was like, huh, I bet it's there. And then sure enough, yeah, it's there. So, so why would you want to toggle between envelope tracking and, and average power tracking when you always want um, to be in the envelope tracking state? Yeah, I'm not sure. There are certain states that you can't do it. I'm not sure if uh, it's enabled for WCDMA. I was seeing uh, a okay. change in between. Um, I'm assuming there are some places where you know, you're going to have to drive the highest state anyways, so just turn the tracker off. Yeah, I don't know all the intricacies there. Those are questions for, uh, those would be good questions to ask Qualcomm eventually. I would okay. like to know more about their implementation and how theirs works. Uh, there's a lot of intricacies involved here, like pre-distorting the waveform and all sorts of other stuff. Obviously, this is like a closed loop, and it only gets more complicated from here. Uh, I was I was suspecting that this would have the tuner, you know, like the one of those components. Yeah, uh, but it doesn't. It doesn't have any antenna tuning or that sort of thing. Although I think at present it's only Apple and HTC that really are doing tuning, and I believe Apple's is just open loop. I'm not sure if it changed, and I think uh, HTC might be close to closed loop, or I'm not sure. Part of it's closed, part of it's open. It's proprietary. I'm not not fully sure. Yeah, but uh, th- those are things that are very, um, you know, are going to make a difference. And they they're a considerable consumer of power. These power amplifiers. Yeah. No, I was I was pleased to see it, and I liked your explanation of it. And and one obviously the the fact that you caught it there. Um, but overall, I mean, it seems like a, the the phrase you had that I liked the best was, um, yeah, it's incremental, but this is what incremental should be. Um, yeah, the and, Note three is obviously incremental. I mean, it's a third of a product, right? Yeah. But it's it's oh the other thing that I liked was they went. They, it was like a significant improvement in storage performance. Oh, yeah. Well, obviously, for USB 3.0, they wanted to have something to show off. Yeah, but like if you look at the places I cared about the most are the sequential write and random write performance improvements. And both of those, you know, you're still within the bounds of USB 2. But, I mean, sequential write performance was almost like a doubling of everything else we compared it to. Right. And random write wasn't quite as good as Moto X, but, I mean, it was it was getting close. Yeah, it does. it does seem like we... The OEMs are starting to realize how I.O. bound things are. Yes. Or maybe they've been listening to you or somebody else has kind of been raising this, but it is a lot better. Yeah. No, oh, and that's... also the uh, the the SD card interface on uh, Snapdragon 800 now works with X- SDXC UHS-1 interface. You know, that like, um, I think it's 100 megahertz signaling. Yeah. Whatever, yeah. That, that faster rate. So you can now, if you do have one of those fancy... Um, Ultra cards. I have one on my desk somewhere. The SDXC SanDisk Extreme, you know, like they sampled the 64 gig one. Yeah. That now works at the fastest possible rate. And previously it was like a very small number of phones that that could do this. Like I believe Galaxy S4 International 
and uh, I think Shield. I think Tegra Four has that faster interface. I think those were okay. literally the only places I ever saw it. But uh, that got added into Snapdragon Eight Hundred as well. So now there's actually, you know, the biggest thing with the Note for me is the UHS video. I mean UHD video oh, yeah, support. Yeah, it can do it can do four K video. Yeah, and it's like super nice quality video. I mean, unbelievable resolution. Good, you know, like blow blow your you know brains out kind of quality like i actually can't play it on anything here and i don't have a 4k display but oversampled it looks awesome so there's that and it's yeah, like no, some ridiculous high bit rate yeah i heard it was like it's over 40 megabits yeah it was like 48 right? megabits ganesh was like can you give me samples of that you know <laughs> No, I, I I watched your um, your sample video of it. And I thought it looked really good. Um, and overall, so it sounds like and um, 1080p 60. Yes, too. But it, it sounds like it's it's weird because this is the first Note that really feels like a flagship for Samsung. Oh, very much so. Yeah, and it's like, thinner and lighter and smaller and has a bigger display. Yes. Um, so overall, a, a good phone. And if you want then, a Note. Yes, if you want a Note. Um, or if you just, even if you don't want a Note, if you just want like a large Samsung phone. Sure, sure. I have a friend who's switching from the the iPhone to the Note 3. He was like, I want that. Yeah. Like, no, I, I want understand. it now. Like, I, I saw a lot, of, a lot of folks that were just envious of the display size, um, which I, I It think... is nice having the big display. And when I go back to these other phones, I'm kind of like, wow, this feels a lot smaller. Yeah. And I, I do want them to swap it out for an AT&T one so I can, like, use it. Yes. Because I, I really want to use it this time. So there's another aspect of the Galaxy Note 3 that we kind of got pulled into, <laughs> <laughs> which was kind of hilarious because I remember, you know, when both of us were up really late that night kind of finalizing all three of those things and i remember reading over your segment on on envelope tracking and i'm like oh this is really cool like this is this is a dramatic step forward and and you know this is what we need to be talking about here and you would then, th- that's like the new part exactly it's the new thing and you know then obviously like within an hour of it publishing um and both of us went to bed at like i don't know it was but i was in bed at like by 5 five thirty my time yeah and, i was like three <laughs> in the morning yeah, and you know, I wake up a few hours later, and and everyone's freaking out. I'm like, what is going on? And they're freaking out over. <laughs> That's the thing I, is hitting the post button. It should be the like the commence yelling. Button. Yeah. <laughs> well, there's like there's all this freaking out about the Note three cheating and benchmarks, and yeah, we, we mentioned it in the article, right? We're like, hey, I thought by I the had way, a pretty big call out in there. Yeah, and, you know, we were like, hey, this well, maybe is... Maybe you should back up a little bit. The thing was that the Note 3, even from the beginning, when the benchmark scores were leaking, it was higher than other devices. And people were like, why is that? Yes. You know, and and then my first thought was, well, there's three gigs of RAM in here. Everybody else has two. Okay, that's probably one thing. And then the drivers are different. Like, if you look at the string, you know, in the GL renderer version, and you know how to parse it for like Qualcomm's Adreno driver version, which isn't that hard. Like it's on their website. Um, it was like a full version newer. It was like 4.03 versus everybody else had 4.02. Yes. And then, and obviously like then the bug fix version at the very end was newer too. Yes. So I'm like, well, duh. Okay. This, you know, case closed, whatever. Yeah. You know, pretty simple. The thing is, so when, you know, when you did all the testing back in July, um, 
and and when so when we were looking at the CPU and GPU performance optimizations in the Exynos 5410 in some versions of the Galaxy S4, right? I remember, I remember getting IM'd from you, right? So you confirmed that this, the, the behavior happened on the GPU side where, you know, it boosted clocks and benchmarks. And then I remember just going through the discovery process with you, seeing it in real time, and you're like, oh my God, I think this happens everywhere, right? I think this is more than just yeah. a GPU thing. I think it impacts CPU too. And then there's just like tons of screenshots that come at me. And <laughs> I mean, that, that's literally what's happening in real time. I, yeah, I, we had this realization, yeah, like several months ago that the CPU side is systemic. Yes. And yeah, so that's the thing. Like you you see the CPU stuff. And, and okay, so let's let's take a step back, right? So... You know, looking at June-ish time frame, you're working on this stuff. You confirm what um, Andre F7 uh, originally tipped you on, right? Which is uh, the GTI 9500 or the ASHV 300S. Yeah, 300S, yeah. Yeah. The, those devices that had the Exynos 5410 in them, if they detected a certain benchmark, they raised thermal limits and offered a GPU frequency that you would not see in a game. Right? right, so you confirm that. Then you also found another thing, right? You found that upon detecting these same benchmarks, the CPU cores would would all shift. They would uh, they would all run at max frequency, and you yeah. rightfully so. You and they would all be plugged in on the platforms that do have the ability to. Well, yeah, cores. so we're, we're getting to that part, right? So like yeah. fifty four ten, you know, everything is plugged in automatically, regardless. Um, and then, you know, you said, and rightfully so, you were like, well, let me test this on other platforms, see if everyone and anyone else does it. And I remember the first thing you said was, you were like, oh, crap, I think HTC does this too. And not on the GPU side, the CPU stuff. And then, you know, a few messages later, you're like, okay, I think literally everyone does this. And that was the conclusion. You were like, look, I, everyone, Samsung was the only one that was doing the weird GPU boosting stuff you know, outside of what was available to games. Right. But everyone else was, upon detecting, you know, a certain set of benchmarks would plug in all cores if they weren't already plugged in and just run them at their max P state. So now to yeah. their credit, these max frequencies were already available for everyone else, but this was specifically making sure that you were, everything was primed and ready to run this test. Yeah. Right? So you find this and we even, we mentioned it in the article back in July and we said, look, that's the next thing that we're going to start poking around with. And I remember you and I just having this kind of like, what do we do here, right? There's because too many. It's literally everybody. I mean, like that battle, I don't want to say is lost, but it's at that point in time, it was kind of like there needs, there's no way to fix this easily. Yeah. And, so uh, and just by writing stuff about it. Yeah, no, no, exactly. The, the, the solution at that point was very clear that writing about it isn't going to fix it. Like this is a, because no one is going to be the first to back down. Right. Absolutely right. no one who is presently doing like a cheating, like anyone who's cheating is just going to point at everyone else and be like, well, they're cheating, too. So I'm not going to be the first to step down. Right? Yeah. So and I don't want to downplay the fact that just because everybody is doing it doesn't mean it's OK. Correct. But there's a huge difference between giving me a clock that I can only get in a benchmark and giving me the maximum clocks that I could have in a benchmark. You know, yes. and and essentially mitigating terrible DVFS timings or like yes. And did you see one of our commenters actually like called that out? And I was so happy. He was like, "This this seems like it's a um, you would do this to make up for the fact that DVFS works so slowly in software." And I responded exactly. Like, this, is, this is exactly it, right? 
if you that's 100 percent the reason that's why doing i mean you've been saying this and somebody else said this like doing it through this cpu freak architecture is stupid yeah like somebody was just like that's just stupid and it is just stupid (laughs) so and and that's that's honestly like old dbfs anytime i talk to like uh you know someone who's very so david Cantor, like he's super smart dude you know understands microprocessors real well and i remember being at an arm event with him and i was like i for some reason the discussion came on to you know how dbfs is done on android and i i told him i'm like well you know it's done in software and he just like there's this like upset look on his face and i said well that's just this is the dumbest thing i've ever heard of like it's just it's hilarious so anyways this is a mitigation for that right so you stumble upon all this and we sit there and we're like well i don't uh, I don't know what to do. And, and it was, was almost like overwhelming say, at that point. Yes. Well, cause I remember you also sent me a message and you were like, I don't, I don't actually even want to go any deeper right now. Like I don't, this is like, <laughs> I feel like it's been going on for such a while and they've gotten away with it that it just yes. became the status quo. And you know, so, I had heard, I can't remember what, what event I was at or something like that. Somebody mentioned something like this to me, like, have you looked for this? And I was like, nobody would ever try to do that. That would just be dumb. <laughs> but I mean, apparently now, you know, like it was going on and yes. this like, it is going on. So. Well, so w- what's interesting is we, we also had some conversation. So I always like to point out that I would say roughly, you know, give or take, but half of what we do never gets published on the site, right? Yeah. It's, it's stuff that we do in, in pursuit of either understanding or it's stuff that we do in pursuit of of just making things better in general, right? It's not it's not it's never ending up in an article, um, and a lot of the times that's the reason we can have this kind of impact or influence or whatever because we can go to a table and say, "I'm not writing this, but let's let's just make this better," right? And and a lot more people are willing to talk and work with you if you take that approach rather than saying, "Hey, I'm basically here for a, a headline, so be yeah, careful." Give me the quote, me. and I'll be done. Yeah, exactly. So in the process, we had a couple conversations with chip makers, with other OEMs. And I remember one in particular where, um, Brian, you were working with this guy, and then I think you were traveling, and he called me up and wanted some input on something. And I told him, I'm like, you guys just need to stop doing this. And the position he was in was he was like, yeah, I, I'll take that back to headquarters, but... <laughs> I, you know, like that's the problem. And and we hinted at this in the article in, you know, the follow-up piece where I was like, look, we try to get the OEMs to stop. And especially for the international ones where we don't have like a personal relationship with the CEO yes, um, or the chairman, no amount of anything is going to change. It's never going to. Yeah. Unless everybody starts yelling or. Yeah. Well, and then everybody was pointing fingers for a while about who was first. And it was like, oh, this started in China. And I felt like. That was kind of like, you know, the the other. You're just pointing at the other, you know. Yeah. And it was it was almost like the tone of it was like this just started in red China, yeah. like that's the vibe I was getting. And I was like, well, I don't really care. It's not okay. Yeah. No. I mean, if, if someone goes out and kills someone, that doesn't mean that everyone can go out and kill people. Like that's just not how that works. And I view this the same way. So, anyways, fast forward to Note Three, and then you know there was all this drama about hey, the Note Three cheats, and that's why it's so fast, and the reality is at least in our suite right we came away with uh, like what 4.4 percent of an improvement in andy bench um no improvement at least from this cpu you know frequency scaling optimization cheat whatever you want to call it um in any of our browser tests 
uh, it it did this cheat for Volamo, but so did all of its competitors. So it makes the cheat worthless. And then on the graphic <laughs> yeah, side, that's, that's what's funny about it. It's it, this is uh, like beyond stupid. Well, you right? know, so, the, the 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 cheating isn't the reason the note is faster. There, and yes. when when we wrote that paragraph. It was under the same... It wasn't like I didn't know this was going on because literally I just said that it's going on in, like, the same sentence. Yeah. It's because of these other reasons. Yes. And it's because everybody cheats, at least on this CPU thing, that you can really almost, like, gloss over it, you know? And for me, what I think more back to is when the Nexus 4 was, like, strangely slow, yes. this now suddenly explains all of that, you know? Yep. Well, that, the Nexus like, 4 also I understand had... now. The the Nexus <laughs> the Nexus four also had like some aggressive thermal throttling though, right? I felt like or, yeah, Google did the right thing. They implemented whatever it was that was the most conservative. Yes. And then obviously they didn't cheat on top of it because <laughs> that that would have just you know, that might have solved some of it. But that you know, if you're comparing players that are cheating, like the comparison point was the G two. Uh which also does this in some cases. And again, like you have to look at the table to kinda like Okay, well, which ones are apples to apples? Yeah, uh, but the, it's I like nobody's the, un, nobody's nobody's you know uh, innocent except for maybe Motorola, yes. you know, and obviously Nexus and a couple OEMs that just for whatever reason don't do this, and and then you know obviously the next point is there are players who are who seem to be unaware that they're even guilty of it. Yeah, um, so this is something I was. Um, so well, hang on. the The other thing that this impacted in our suite is it. Thankfully, it didn't impact um, GFX Bench or GL Benchmark. What do you want to call it? It didn't affect that, but it did in fact uh, affect Basemark X and 3D Mark. Yes. Um, and and there, it looked like there was a gain of of roughly ten percentage. Um, what well, I found hilarious in- is that the list got bigger, and that was immediately what I told you is that I, I remember there was an IM that I sent where I was like, I don't remember 3D Mark being part of this. Yeah, and like I don't remember Andy Bench being one of the <laughs> devices as well. I mean, the the good news is like, well, so there's good news and bad news, right? The cheating that everyone has has now uncovered um, is seriously low hanging fruit, right? If you if you have discovered this, it's not that hard to discover it, and uh, the real things to worry about are what happens next. And and actually, it's not even what happens next. It's some of the stuff that is already happening today. So there is there's um, a uh, person at another chip company that Brian, you and I have talked to or, or interacted with quite a bit. And uh, yeah, they were basically like, "You haven't found even like this isn't even everything that's going on." And really, there's yeah. <laughs> that's why I was like, I don't want to dig anymore because it just yeah. keeps getting. I don't like to know. I mean, I guess ignorance is bliss. Yes. Uh, and what have they been getting away with already is just kind of ridiculous. Yeah. So the the thing is, the app detects. Um, that's already, as far as we're concerned, that's already been mitigated, right? We now have custom versions of it, of pretty much everything, and and stuff that we don't have is either on the way or you know we will get on the way. Um, and and for all of these things, I'm making sure that any benchmarks, even ones we haven't published yet, uh, that they're named to strings that no one else knows, right? So you you just you have nothing yeah. to optimize for. The problem is if if you've made it this far in, in the optimization scheme of things, um, you're not going to just stop, right? You're going to optimize. So I look at what happened in the PC industry. Well, when people stopped doing app detects, they started doing code snippet detects, right? So they would look at, um, you know, you look at what happens when a benchmark starts. 
right? Yeah. So look at what happens in the first, you know, whatever microseconds when 3D Mark starts. When you detect that code, then you do X. They have other heuristics. And, yeah. yeah, and that's literally, that is the next thing that will happen if it's not even happening today, right? Like, so that's the, uh, that's the thing. Like, that's, that's where it starts getting a lot scarier. Um, so, I agree yeah, with and, you. And it's frustrating, and there are solutions, right? The solutions are... Uh, we need better benchmarks, and uh, believe me, both Brian and I have been on phone calls with all the people playing the benchmark game today, everyone who's making benchmarks. Um, we've been talking with everyone who has a vested interest in having good benchmarks out there. And Well, we've given, I've given the same feedback like countless times now. Yes. I should just make a list, and then I can just copy-paste it. Yeah, and, and, that's, and we kind of even have that with that one call we were on you know, a couple months ago. They said... Hey, we want to do this, and, and we put in writing, you know, kind yeah. of we what just, we want. We should to just see. publish that. <laughs> yeah. Well, so <laughs> copy paste. So everyone's in. What's hilarious to me is when you have these like multi-billion-dollar companies, right, that are talking to us, and they're like, "You guys should build a benchmark." And I always like give them this look, like, you know, we know how this was solved last time. You guys wrote the check, right? Like, it's never. It is never yeah. the the like. It shouldn't be us. You know, if if they want to fund it and, and we, you know, we guide the direction of it, that's a different thing. Um, and, and that is something that, you know, I've been kind of pitching to a bunch of people at this point um, in that we'll oversee it and we'll steer it in the right direction. But we're not a bunch of developers, right? Like, that's no. not that's and not what we do. Trying to, especially when you're dealing with these devices where I have like three days. Yes. You know, and the other thing is like, how much can you realistically hack on a thing in three days? Like, yeah, they're. I, I just don't, you know, like that's the expectation I've I've been told before. Like, why don't you just root things? Like, okay, yeah, let me just craft a zero day. <laughs> this phone isn't out yet. Okay, <laughs> running a platform you've never heard of, right? And so, like, I'm just gonna go. First of all, make a zero day. Second of all, waste it. You know, rather than make some money or whatever, black hat, <laughs> sell it uh, on this. Yeah, I'm just like. My like I'm gonna have an aneurysm thinking about the logic involved <laughs> in that statement. No, so the the we're we're working on a lot of interesting solutions here. Um, we have been actively flagging. Uh, let's let's call them optimizations that don't impact us, but we know they exist and we know where they came from. We've been communicating that this needs to stop. Um, in, in trying to get them fixed first, right? And I, I mentioned this yeah. in the comments, right? My solution, the way we work isn't based on negativity. It's not based on sensationalism, right? That's not, that is always a last resort. If we can't fix something on our own, our last resort is we go to you guys and say, hey, the masses of the internet, get together and, and let's try and influence change. But I much prefer calling up the guy who is in charge of doing this and getting him yeah. to stop. Because that is the most direct way to do it. So we are actively doing that. We have been actively doing that. Um, and we will continue to actively do that. Um, the, the thing about all of this is there's no one solution, right? Simply penalizing Samsung doesn't fix it. Well, yeah. And are people going to go stop buying Samsung tablets because they cheated a benchmark? I mean, no. I think maybe some percent, yeah. but probably not. You know, they'll, yeah. they'll say like, oh, this is terrible. But well, what's uh, also just, hilarious... just continue to do so. Yeah, what's also hilarious to me is is the majority of the gaming actually happens on tests that we don't run. Um, 
So, oh yeah, like Antutu. Look, look, that's the most game thing in the table other than Valamo, which quadrant. I guess says something. Yeah, and Quadrant. I didn't even put that in the table because that's a yeah. joke. <laughs> I mean, like most of the things that they're cheating at are like old, or you can obviously tell a lot about product development cycles here. Yes, but uh, yeah, absolutely true. You, you know, and how long it takes to get software, you know, TA'd it wherever. So but, one thing that I wanted to highlight is if we look at the chain, right? So I was talking to one of the OEMs today and um, they were confused, right? They were like, we don't we don't think we're cheating, right? We see that we're cheating, like we believe what you're saying. We're not upset. We don't think we're cheating. Um, so we're trying to understand what's going on. So I, I had this explanation of how the chain works, right? And, and it's really simple. Um, and it also explains why the Nexus devices are unaffected, right? So you have Android, you know, um, AOSP, Google develops it. They develop it in, in uh, close partnership with whoever is the Nexus win. At least that's how they used to do things. Um, and obviously, Google's not going to bake in a, a benchmark cheat into AOSP, right? So that's why the Nexus ones are, are fine. But then it goes to everyone else. It goes to the silicon vendors. It goes to the OEMs, right? And the silicon vendors will, will package up what they think is a good starting point for their silicon and the OEMs will take that and modify it and, and do whatever. Right. And those are the two points of injection, right? So you can cheat at either one of those stages or both. And what I found to be really interesting is that the Moto X, which is not a Nexus device, makes it through this chain and comes out clean. It's difficult to really tell where, um, what's different about the Moto X though, because of the firewall thing, but I would, I would say that, yeah, they have the same like BSP situation. Yes. Well, yeah, well, obviously, right? Otherwise, they would have shipped with 4.3. Yeah. Well, I don't know. I mean, that was almost like a political thing. Uh, that's true. That's true. But I guess we didn't political... talk about the Moto X camera update either. Didn't we, we didn't talk about that last time? Yeah, we did. Did we? I think oh, so. I guess maybe we did. I don't know. Well, that published when I was in New York City, so I don't know. Yeah, we did. Remember, because we delayed the podcast. Oh, okay. Yeah, so that's right. I'm sorry. Don't mean to derail. No, no, no. That's fine. Um, so anyways, kudos to Motorola, because they've... Um, they're doing something right. Um, I guess we don't have Sony in the table yet either. We don't have Sony in the table. I'm, I am. We, we will hopefully soon have Sony in the table. And actually, if anyone from Sony is listening, you guys should really reach out. And <laughs> we should just deal with this, not having Sony reviews on the site. Because, uh, yeah, it, it seems like they're they're starting to do a good job on, on their mobile devices. Yeah. And, and obviously, we also want to find out if they cheat. Um, but we'll, we'll have an answer to that question. <laughs> we want to include you in the table. <laughs> I mean, it's it's actually like I, I saw one of the commenters or, or someone emailed or something, and he was like, you guys, um, he called it the wall of shame. And I'm actually at the point where I'm like, well, I'll just put, we'll create an article, and it'll just be a stub, and we'll just add to the wall of shame. Yeah. And just get it Googled, uh, indexed by Google, and, you know, if you if you want to know, there's the reference point. Um, Should so, be a new yeah. category in Bench. <laughs> it's, just, it's just a cheat category? Yeah, shame one or zero. What's hilarious to me is that, and, and I, I wrote this in the piece, right, where I'm like, I don't, if I am in the shoes of someone evaluating the cost-benefit analysis of this cheat, the like 4%, 4 to, or 0 to 10%, the 0 to 10% that I'm netting here is not worth the fact that I have to put my marketing team yeah. through defending why we cheat. Like that's... No, I don't understand how that's like an internal. Idea. Yeah, from like a from an HR and like internal political perspective. No, there's Can a huge imagine? disconnect there. There's yeah, a huge like, disconnect between who's doing the marketing for these devices. Yes. Who's really the the people that are getting destroyed right now? 
Yeah, and that's um, the thing. Like, and that is why our, our our first approach is usually to get to the guy who makes the decision, right? Because what instead marketing is going to know anything about benchmark boost. <laughs> I mean, I guess they do now, but they didn't before. And the thing is, they don't uh, in in most of these organizations they don't have the ability to just go into engineering and say, "Hey, fix this," right? They yeah. Don't, Engineering doesn't report into the uh, VP of marketing. Like, that's, yeah. not, that's not how this works. <laughs> Yo, dog. <laughs> hey, what should we do on yeah. the next phone? <laughs> like, that's not, that's that's not, not a, a marketing way. decision. Yeah. I remember this was like when, um, I remember when Intel did the Pentium 4. And there was like all this, this flack that was thrown at Intel marketing saying that like the PR guys at Intel are the ones that made engineering do this. And I'm like, no, that's not... That would be really bad. Like they don't know anything about microprocessor design. Like that's, not, that's a, they didn't advocate for this. It it definitely like it makes marketing easy in in you know one way or another. But I don't know. Anyway, so that happened, um, and we set our piece on that, and and we kind of. Well, I think what's it. important is that from our perspective, it's it's not new, and yes. maybe we did a disservice by not immediately just dumping the list out there. Yes, but I think we were still grappling with what to do about it number one and still trying to get it fixed before you just go and blow you know all this you know this data right and then and then again they have the they know how you're detecting it whatever just going to start cheating more because i'm kind of done with being altruistic with anything anymore is i'm just not going to tell you how which again is kind of unfortunate because before i would tell you you know but that's how we work so i i had this discussion with ryan smith our gpu editor um I was like, look, I, I honestly, I want to get to the point where we are at with SSDs, where we have a suite that no one else has. Like, none yeah. of the OEMs get it. They ask for it. They're like, oh, we would love to have it. And my answer is, I can tell you kind of what I'm doing, but that's it. You're not getting any more than that. And when they complain, I'm like, look, I know repeatability and like, you know, that that's a big part of scientific peer review and stuff. And but I just don't care because I know you're going to optimize for it. So, yeah. It's just I and I was like I hate that we're at this point, but uh, yeah, I, I don't want to tell them anything. Like from now on, and, and I think we've been very very transparent with all of the OEMs and and silicon players here on how we benchmark. And I'm like, well, that's just over now. Like that's just not yeah. going to happen. Um, and I'm I'm glad that we've been this um, closed off on our battery life test because I can only imagine what they would do then. I yeah well. I think you'd be surprised. I feel like most of the OEMs don't have much sophistication on the battery life testing. <laughs> or at least no, that was my opener, like... is that I'm just like, okay, nobody really knows squat. You know, like, okay, I expected you to have these awesome tools. They're just going to blow my mind. No, but no, it's like, no, we're, we're just we're just doing what you do. Like, okay. <laughs> Works no, but pretty the thing good, is right? that, like, if you, if you give them a target, eventually they'll optimize for it. Right? Someone will. Um, well, this is that I, thing is like, does this replicate real use or like, is it a good thing to like optimize to? And yeah, um, I think the, the concern shouldn't be us being stupid about this. It should be, um, you know, the concern is other people that are just presenting the benchmark with no explanation and then, okay, that one's faster. Yeah. But in, which doesn't mean like that, that I'm not occasionally stupid, but like I'm saying that if you understand what's going on and the the caveats involved that's one thing if if you're just entirely buying something off of which thing looks faster in a chart then you have some other bigger issues yes that's true and i I, fundamentally i don't think a lot of people do that right i don't think so either yeah 
we look at and and that's why I always find it funny when when the solution is we'll stop benchmarking and I'm like no that's not that is not that's the like solution. 2006 yeah or like 2008 you know that's the it's, it feels fast or the iPhone yeah. is still faster like we don't know why <laughs> um so yeah that's we've set our piece on that um although like iOS said, 7 feels slow iOS 7 does feel slow it's it's um I mean, you said it. It's the transitions and the animations. They need to be sped up. They need to remove a lot of those frames. Um, it's it's a it's a it's a cool thing to look at, right? It's the very first impressive. time. Yeah, the first couple exactly. times. But you know, do you other... do the thing too, where you go back to the home screen and while the stuff is flying in, you've already tapped what it is, and it's the different color, and you just stare at it, the different color for a while, and then it launches. You know, because I, I do that even... every single time. I never even thought to do that. I just kind of sit there and wait, and I'm like, this is... So it's I, funny. So like, I wrote about I, this. The tap points are active now. In the earliest betas, the tap points weren't active. Yeah. The tap points are now active while the animation plays. And somebody was... I read somebody writing about, like, oh, well, it's fixed, you know? No, it's not fixed, because I still have to sit through the darn thing, you know? Yeah. When, when, the tap, when you've recognized the tap thing is fired, execute the action. Don't make me yes. sit... That's all that needs to change. That's literally all that needs to change. Yeah. Well, I mean, I would still like to not have to tap blindly, right? <laughs> I would I would appreciate if, you know, Well, I mean, you can tell you can tell where it is. You know, like you the the icons are live. It's just like while you're tapping, uh you have to wait for the the full animation to play and then it will execute. Yes, that's true. You know, like you can do I, this on your phone just like launch an app and then quit it then tap the other one and you'll it'll like change the it'll change to the activated color and then when it gets back you know to the animation complete state then it will do whatever you're going to do yeah no i i remember you saying that in in the ios 7 review i i just i i don't know i i've just come to accept that it's slow and i'm like i don't know i just i sit <laughs> i remember like while we were doing all this like you know filling out that stupid table um I, you know, switched back over to the Moto X for a while and it felt so fast. I was like, what yeah, is going is on? It's, but like, it's, it's funny. Like, uh, when I switched back to the iPhone, I, I remember asking you, I'm like, was, was camera capture always this fast? Cause that just felt too fast. And switching back to, you know, Android, I, the entire OS and multitasking is just so much faster. Um, it's just frustrating that I can't kind of have both in one package. That's why I'm saying there's nothing that's perfect yet. Everything is still very frustrating. Yes, I agree completely. Um, so speaking of iPhone and iOS camera, um, you've been playing with the 5S. You got you got a gold one. Yeah, the only acceptable color, and the it's only a 64 gig. Um, what do you? So I did the uh, uh, the novice analysis of iPhone 5S camera, but what do you what do you think? Now that you've used it, it definitely seems better, and they definitely remove that binning mode. You know, the capture yeah. is so fast, and the preview is really fast now too. Like their ISP yes. is obviously insane. Yes, but like the full the preview is ridiculously high res and ridiculously high frame rate. Is it is it full res or is it what? what... It seems like it. It must be. You know, like their capture is just ridiculous. I'm not yeah. sure. And I but, remember I measured, um, like I, I profiled uh, uh, frame rate, so it was thirty frames a second. I thought on on their capture. Interesting. Even though I thought it's supposed to be eleven, like when you hold the button down. Um, no, 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 on uh, sorry, on the preview. Not oh, capture. okay, yeah. No, it's like super fluid. I can't explain how 
it seems very different coming from the five. Yes. I yeah. I need to spend more time and like actually comparing low light, but it seems better. Okay. Maybe not like a fundamental shift, but obviously getting rid of the binning mode, and you know using this bigger pixel does help. Yeah. And it it sticks out at me that I think maybe somewhere around here is where HTC should be. Yes. Well, it's it's it, what struck me out. Uh, what um, stood out to me on the 5s a lot was how much I appreciated the entire package, right? So the the physical hardware performance, as well as um, just the speediness of the software, um, and and just everything about that whole UI. Yeah, yeah, it is very fast. Although I don't like that the stuff doesn't rotate still. Yeah, the text on the side. Yeah, I don't I don't like that. Um, I, I do I like the like, new camera UI better than the old one, though. I don't, you know, I like that they fixed the the aspect ratio thing. Yeah, I still don't like the way it looks, and I don't like that the stuff doesn't rotate. And I, I don't, I'm not a filter person. I think that it's blasphemy, even <laughs> though the it's even though they're not destructive filters, which is yeah. good. I just don't like that the uh, the release button, the capture thing, is gone, and it's now just hold down to burst capture. Yeah, that's true. I think true. burst capture is kind of the spray and pray method of photography. It is. And I don't, anybody that's using it, I just don't, I've never ever, maybe if you're a sports photographer, it makes sense. Yeah, so I actually found it, it did come in handy. Um, just like I, I had a friend that was like swinging on a vine and they wanted me to get a shot. And I'm like, I can't, I'm not. You didn't take a <laughs> vine of him swinging on the vine? No, no, I didn't do that. And, and uh, yeah, so I was like, I'm just going to. Because they really wanted a shot, and I'm not going to know how to. I'm really bad at timing photography, right? Mm-hmm. I guess that's why I'm not a sport. Like, I, all I take pictures of are components in a light box, right? So, <laughs> I, I just yeah. that's what I used burst for. I'm like, oh, this is really useful. Yeah. Um, and my dogs are always doing like hilarious things, so that's what I use the the 120 frames per second capture for. Yeah, I guess that would make sense. Or you're, you're the high. The higher FPS video, you mean? Yes. I wish yeah. they had 1080p 60, though, not 720p 120. Yeah, I do, too. Um, I'm So 1080p 60 is technically more bandwidth, right? Um, I guess, yeah. I think the, the difficulty is that, you know, it's, yeah, like you're saying, it is more. They could have just done it. I, I just wish that they had 1080p 60. There's really no good reason at this point. Yeah. I guess they always like the the significant jumps, right? And you can do that with 120, whereas 60 is... It, it's a cool effect, but it's a different type of effect than doing 120. I think the 1080p 60 is like a huge jump forwards just for quality. I mean, really? it's a totally different... Yeah, just having that temporal resolution is, is the better thing to do. I don't, I don't yeah. know about 120 will slow it down, but not really make it like any more lifelike than 60 was. Yes. Whereas... You know, have I don't know. 1080p 60 just looks awesome. It does. You know, it, it does. I'm really, glad really we have really that. Good. I don't know, like maybe someday YouTube will have it. <laughs> maybe someday. <laughs> um, so then, the last thing I want to talk about is another Apple-related product. Um, I've been testing the new 21.5 inch iMac, um, which is actually really, really good. So, do you you uh, work at an iMac a lot? Don't you? I do. Like that's the. Is that's that going to get you hate mail? I'm sorry. Well, that's that's actually how I start the review. Um, I've been I've been uh, I held off on publishing it because I have uh, uh, I was chasing a few 802.11 AC issues, um, but I start off the review, which I haven't yet published. But uh, I start off talking about uh, admitting two things. 
one, that I've used an iMac for the past year, and two, I've used Fusion Drive for the past year. Um, really? So, yeah, I've, I've used a system. Because, like, you know, Apple's whole argument is Fusion Drive is really good, right? And, and you know, I've never been a fan of hybrid hard drives because... Didn't you do something on the Fusion Drive uh, previously? Yeah, I did it for a month. And my concern was, yeah, and I said it was a really good experience. Um, it was the first hybrid experience that I had that didn't suck. And it really did approximate an SSD. I would still prefer using an SSD on its own because it's, it's obviously faster. But this was totally livable for someone who obviously really, really likes SSDs. But then I was worried that, well, what happens over time, right? What happens when the SSD gets really fragmented and like how bad does the user experience get? So I literally, I mean, it's, it's been, I don't know, maybe 10, 11 months at this point. Mm-hmm. Um, still works. And it's, yeah, it, it, is, it is like night and day compared to a hard drive. I still prefer just an SSD, but this is totally livable. It is literally the only hybrid solution that doesn't suck. Um, really? Yeah. I mean, and it's simple, right? They just put a bunch of cash. I mean, it's 128 gigs. Huh. And I was kind of disappointed. That's a huge that... cash. It is. It's, But it's the only way to do it because you can't cash. I look at the amount of stuff I need to access. You can't fit that in 16 gigs. Like, that's <laughs> that's not possible. I had the momentous um, XT. Yeah. Like, it's not. that's not enough. And I had this argument with the, um, the hard drive makers for a while. They were like, well, how big do we need our caches to be? And... They're like 16 gigs. Yeah, and I flipped it on. I'm like, well, you shouldn't be asking that question. You should be saying, well, how big of a hard drive do I need to put next to this SSD? Because that's the only way you improve like user experience. Um, So Fusion Drive is really good, and I'm really pleased with where it is price wise now because basically, you know, you get this 21 and a half inch iMac for 12.99, and for 200 dollars, you either get a one terabyte Fusion Drive or get a 256 gig SSD. So it's the same price for both. Um, obviously, the 256 gig SSD, you get more NAND because Fusion Drive is still, unfortunately, 128 gigs. But if you're like trying to get your parents or um, like I'm always talking about how Manny's brother, brother-in-law and sister like won't, they won't use a multiple storage environment. Like they have to have a single drive. So if you're one of those types of users, yeah, yeah Fusion Drive totally works. Like it's... It, it i'm 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 sold i would still go me personally i would go for a large ssd but yeah it's it's way better than a hard drive way better than a hard drive interesting it's it's yeah. software too isn't it it's like a software cache yeah yeah it's really a software cache it it um yeah it it works it's just it's large enough and they write to a buffer on the drive itself on the ssd itself right so uh all writes regardless of what is going on um, as long as you know you've had a little bit of idle time for it to kind of flush them out to disk, they'll go. They'll hit um, uh, NAND first, right? And that's how you ensure this like really good experience. It's not just a read cache, um, and they cache at the block level. Like so, it, it's um, you can have parts of a file that'll be on the NAND versus on the mechanical storage. Like it's totally done properly. It is absolutely done properly, and it works. And the only I thing that, I want. Yeah, to... you're right. This is the only time you've ever spoken so highly of uh, a cache that. <laughs> No, because they all suck. Like, literally everyone. I have a pile of unreviewed caching products because I'm like, these are just all bad. Like, I don't want to, just don't, I don't want to deal with this. And, you know, everyone else. I don't want to deal with this. I don't, because, like, all that's going to happen. You're like, none of this is good enough, and I'm just going to say it's terrible, and everybody's going to get mad. 
Yeah, like I'm like I've already said my piece on caching, right? Uh, when Intel did um, their SSD caching stuff, and I was like, yeah, this isn't bad, but um, you know, I'd still prefer an SSD, and this isn't. And you know, we reviewed all of the hybrid, or at least the initial hybrid drives, and the conclusion there was, that you this is more hard drive than SSD. If you give me the choice between a caching solution and a mechanical drive, I'll take the caching solution, but. We're still on that end of the spectrum. Um, Fusion Drive changes that because Apple spends the money on putting enough NAND in the system. Right. Um, I, I would. I was hoping we would get an upgrade to 256 gigs this this round. Um, we didn't. Um, so I'm guessing we'll get there next round. Um, I'm also guessing that their long term play here might just be to do Fusion Drive as the default config. Right, so maybe huh. they don't go to a bigger a bigger cache, but they just make it that that's what you get. Um, so that's another interesting option. Um, so, anyways, uh, let's see what else. What else? Twenty one and a half inch iMac. Um, the display is amazing. I sent you. You know, it's not a Retina panel. We, you know, obviously Apple still is about this two X kind of scaling factor stuff. So we need a twenty one and a half inch four K panel or uh, a five K twenty seven inch panel um, maybe next year. But I sent. Brian, I sent you the like display accuracy data while you yeah. were working on the notes. And I remember your response was literally all caps, wow, <laughs> followed by, is that out of the box performance? And yeah. I said, yeah, this is uncalibrated, out of the box. And your response was just like, not fair with like a, a string of exclamation marks yeah. and other punctuation <laughs> and swearing. <laughs> yeah, and lots of swearing. Um, and it's just, it's really that good. It comes out of the box totally. Like you could, if you're a photographer and you care about color accuracy, you could go and buy the cheapest iMac that Apple sells. I mean, it's only got a hard drive in it, but you could pay $12.99 and come out with a, like a truly professional caliber, quality calibrated display. Um, and that's just, that's incredible to me. That is pretty nuts. I wish we um, could have that and other nice everywhere. things everywhere. I know, exactly. <laughs> So the other cool thing is the entry-level iMac, it ditches the discrete GPU. Um, it is the first Apple system to ship with Intel's Iris Pro graphics, um, and that's kind of neat. It is not as fast as the Iris Pro we previewed. So the Iris Pro we previewed, that chip is something like $700. Um, Man. <laughs> it's, it's so expensive. And obviously the entire that's iMac only costs $1,300. So this is a much cheaper chip, um, which means you get less turbo residency, um, lower clocks, less L3 cache, which is kind of disappointing, um, but you still get the 128 megs of level four ED RAM, codenamed Crystal Well. Um, and gaming performance is all right. Like it's, it's, again, it's not nearly as good as what we tested over the summer. Because um, again, that's that's a much faster skew. Uh, in general, I found that that was like maybe let's say a good thirteen percent quicker in in a lot of tests. Um, you haven't published that yet, right? No, no, this oh, is what I'm so. working on. Okay. Um, so I was like, did I miss this? I remember, no, no. I remember the the display stuff, but I don't remember reading the rest of this. Yeah, well, so I was working. So I was working. <laughs> you were with like you too busy all... helping me with the three day thing. Yeah, so I was yeah. working with you on that, and then I was like, oh, well, the next day I'm just going to finish up iMac. And then everyone I remember was like, that. hey, yeah. do you know that people cheat in benchmarks? And we were like, yeah. oh, my God, please. <laughs> yeah, I know, right? yeah, I was like, just, I can't believe this. <laughs> so, yeah, that, that unfortunately delayed iMac a bit. Um, but, yeah, so, so Iris Pro, uh, 
it's it's <laughs> it's decent in this configuration. Um, it's not where I'd like it to be, but I did a test. I, I took Borderlands 2 under OS 10. Um, I ran it at 1080p, you know, panel resolution with everything up in terms of you know detail quality settings, and uh, with the exception of um, NISO and anti-aliasing. And I just played through it, and I'll, I'll, you'll see in the review there'll be a, a graph of my frame rate over time, and it's all over 30 frames a second. You know, it'll peak up at like 60, 70, 80, 90 frames a second, um, and it's totally playable. Like it's it is not a bad experience. And and actually, if I were buying a 21 inch iMac and I didn't care about gaming, I'd kind of want the entry level one and and just spend some money on a better storage subsystem because. You know, there are a lot of applications that I think will benefit from that large L4 cache. Right. Um, I, I, the problem I had was because there's a hard drive in mine, a lot of the numbers came out slower than they would have been otherwise. Sure. So I kind of want like this SSD equipped 20 entry level iMac just to see how fast it would get. Um, because the CPU in it, it's, it's quick. It's very quick. I really, yeah, I want to see the, the Iris Pro stuff, those yeah. results. They're, they're good. Um, and it's, it's interesting that now we have a stake in the ground, right? We know what Apple is going to do, how it views Iris Pro versus discrete GPU, sure. right? Yeah. So you look at the iMac, you get the entry level comes with Iris Pro, everything else is NVIDIA. And I think we'll see the exact same thing for the 15-inch Retina. Um, interesting. And that gives them some flexibility. It gives them flexibility either to bring the entry level pricing down, right? Because obviously, you know, you're going to, uh, uh, depending on what part they choose, it could be cheaper than a discrete solution. And it also allows people who want the higher end systems to um, to basically enjoy the the added performance at the at the higher end. I want the higher end. I mean, I sit at the Retina MacBook Pro, but I, I you know, and I've never really had any complaints like actually using it. But there are places that it stutters. Yeah. Well, so here's the interesting thing: if you were faced with more graphics performance um, or more battery life, which would you take? Oh man, that's hard. I think it's the I, present battery life is really good, so I would take more performance. Okay, because I think that's going to be the trade-off, right? I think you will, depending on what they do, right? Um, and then again, the frustrating thing to me is, let's say you want the best of both worlds, you're not going to be able to get the 128 meg L4 cache. Yeah. Right? Like, that's the killer thing for me. I want the huge cache. That would be yeah, awesome. Yeah, I want that too. I want that everywhere. And Intel's like, oh, I don't know, maybe people don't like that. <laughs> like, what are you talking about? It's amazing. Um, because like it should never... be free because it's an old process node, isn't it? It is. It is. Uh, it's previous generation process. Uh, is it? I, I don't remember actually. Crap, I have to look this up. I don't remember uh, anymore either. That's why. Uh, that's why I ask. No, <laughs> I should know this. I think you're right. I think it, it is. Like it should um, be free. Is that? The, it shouldn't be. I mean, I guess. Well, free in air quotes, right? I mean, <laughs> less expensive. It's fifty bucks. Like the the adder just for that is fifty bucks. The problem is, you want that, but you also want the, um, like you you want the higher end CPU part of it too, right? Sure. So the issue is, you you end up with this like really really expensive, um, you end up with this really expensive chip. That sucks. Um, no, so so the EDRAM is it's built on the 22 nanometer SOC process. Oh, it's a oh that's what it is. Okay. Yeah. Wow. That's yeah, so I crazy. theorize that going forward, they might keep it at this process and just shrink oh, the main okay. die. Um, but yeah, I mean, you're, you're getting... What's hilarious is, you know, they're, 
they're charging 50 bucks for 128 megs of memory right like and that's if you tell that to anyone who works at a memory company they're just like mind blown right <laughs> right because that's like that's whatever two dollars of memory yeah um yeah. so margins are obviously very very good on that um but yeah anyways that is it for this episode um brian you're off to an event that i don't know if is under or not under embargo but you're traveling soon going and, to europe uh, yeah. yeah um next so week that, that'll That'll be cool, and you'll have stuff to report from that. Um, and then I've got some traveling more towards the end of the month. Um, and, yeah, it's going to get crazy. So, anyways, thank you all for reading. Thank you all for listening. And we will be back as soon as Brian and I are in the same country. And no cheating. No yes. cheating. Yeah, can you guys just not – just don't cheat at benchmarks while we're gone. Like, that's please. <laughs> not while I'm traveling, please. Not, yeah, that's that would be a problem. Anyways, thank you guys for listening, and uh, we'll, we'll talk soon.